Amen. Thank you. At this time, our young friends can be dismissed to junior church. That's grades one through six. Grades one through six are dismissed to follow our children's workers to junior church this morning. If you have a young person with you in grades one through six, and you say, what goes on in junior church? You are always welcome to accompany them and to be a part of what goes on in our junior church children's program. The angel promised peace on earth, but Christmas seems more like chaos than peace. It's one of the busiest times of year, isn't it? Full schedules. How many of you, you're looking at your December schedule and you're just thinking, wow, it's so light. Parties, events, gatherings, presents, baking, cleaning, decorating, um, all the shopping that goes into this time of year. It's probably one of the least peaceful times that we encounter throughout the year. So, what is this peace on earth that the angel speaks of? Moreover, I don't see peace on earth in the news or in social media when I, when I turn on any screen in the house. I hear wars and rumors of wars. How about you? Fear? All the time? Have you ever noticed that they've even sensationalized the Weather Channel? Remember how boring the Weather Channel used to be? And now it's like, it's a snowpocalypse, snowmageddon, and you get like an inch and a half. But it keeps you tuned in and fearful. For all intents and purposes, the West is at war with Russia. We have a political war in our country, which is probably an irreparable divide. At the office, at the job site, in the shop, at the classroom, probably places of conflict, at least people of conflict, and people are tiptoeing around what they say in order to not cause trouble. Because trouble is brewing. And do you really look at your inner life and say, wow, there's just so much peace in my heart? Where is the peace on earth that the angels declared? There is most definitely peace. Peace beyond measure. But we need to see what God says to find where it is and to fully grasp it. So let's begin in Luke chapter 2 this morning as we begin our Christmas sermon series about peace on earth. Luke chapter 2. And we'll begin reading in verse number 8. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 8. The word of God says this. And there were, in the same country, shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Let's pray together. Father, in this hour, we ask that you would bless your word, that it would accomplish exactly what you send it forth to do. Give us ears to hear. Help us to have good soil in our hearts to receive it. Deliver us from distraction. Use me now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Oh, you are seated. Good job. Seeing if I could catch you there. Jesus was born to 
to Mary by the Holy Ghost. No man had anything to do with Jesus' earthly beginnings. And as we know the story, in Bethlehem, traveling out of necessity, this young family finds themselves with no room, found themselves in a manger, manger, found themselves unable to find a place to stay. And so in these very humble, simple beginnings, Christ is born. Somewhere not too far away from the city of David, the city of Bethlehem, are some shepherds. And these shepherds are iconic this time of year. We think about them, and we think about the angel coming to them, and perhaps you have a scene in your house somewhere, or perhaps you have little figurines or statues, or perhaps you have shepherds coming uh, to visit Jesus in your manger scene, but they stick to our minds. One of the things about shepherds that I love here, by the way, shepherds were not extremely important people in Bible times. They were not in the high and mighty. They were not the wealthy. They were not the privileged. They were not the ruling class. They were simple people doing a simple job. And if anything, they were at the lower rung of things, dealing with animals all night out in the cold, trying to keep their flocks safe, moving them from place to place to find something to eat and something to drink. And yet it was to these shepherds that the angel came to announce openly about Christ's birth. Never forget that God is interested in all people. There may be folks in this world that are only interested in those that can do something for them. Those who can buy their product or purchase their services or scratch their back if you scratch theirs. But the Lord is interested in all people, even those that are forgotten about by others. And on this night, the night of Christ's birth, the promise of the ages are fulfilled. An angelic messenger comes from heaven and heralds his birth. And what is it that's so important about this child It says in verse number 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. For us, we look back at Christmas as a wonderful day of Jesus' birth, but it was something that God's people had looked forward to for generations. They had been told that one day a Savior would come, a Deliverer would come, someone from David's line would come and bring them all that they had been lacking and to set them free who would bear their sins, who would be bruised for their iniquities. They were looking forward to this great Savior. There were many questions about who he would be. Prophecy, of course, recorded for us in the Scripture. But even then, not everybody understood. And they were longing for the day when God would speak again, when God would send the Messiah. And here, this night, we have a Savior. And notice in verse number 14, accompanying this Savior is supposed to be Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Goodwill toward men. What is peace? What is peace? Well, it's a lack of disruption. It's a lack of interruption. It's a lack of problems. It's a lack of conflict. It's usually connected with silence. Sometimes even being by yourself in solitude. It is something that is the opposite of war. And this is what is said to have been brought on that night. Now, I'm sure that the the shepherds didn't understand everything that was going to happen. And I'm sure that they were reeling, trying to, to think through what little they probably knew of the Old Testament to figure out about who this Savior was. But we are told, and if you'd look with me in Isaiah chapter 9, we are told in the Old Testament who this great Savior is. And we're given many names for him because there is much that comes along with Christ. Much that comes... By the way, he was not any normal man. 
He was not like Siddhartha Gautama, who was the human beginning of Buddhism. He was not like Muhammad. He was not a philosopher like Confucius or Lao Tzu. He, he was not a, uh, a movement uh, beginner like Gandhi was. He was something completely different. Look at what the word of God says about him in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Many things are said about him that his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor. Perhaps those names stick out to you. But before we even get there, notice it says a son. Whose son? The son of God. And he doesn't just come, he's given to us as a gift. For God so loved the world, John chapter 3 and verse number 16, that he gave his only begotten son. He's referred to, if you turn with me in 2 Corinthians, he's referred to, in more than one place as a gift. But notice how he's described as he is given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Do you, do you know what it means when he says it's unspeakable? There's no words to describe it. We can't even talk about the value of it. I don't know if you ever had your heart set on something as a child, as a gift that you wanted, and when you finally got it, you saw it under the tree, or maybe it was a birthday present, or maybe something completely different, but when you saw it, it filled your heart with joy, and you couldn't have asked for anything better. And when somebody's like, how do you like it? You just didn't have words. All you could say is, I love it. When we think about the Lord Jesus Christ and his being given to us, there are no words to describe what he is to us. There are no words to describe his value, especially because he didn't come as a reigning conqueror. He didn't come in power and in might this first time. He didn't come in opulence and wealth and in glory as he would have des deserved, without a doubt, as he would have deserved. He came as a baby. He was born, it says unto us. He was born as every baby is born. He was born to a woman who knew no man. That was miraculous. But the same process, he was truly born, he was truly man, fully man and fully God. You say, how can someone be 100% man and 100% God? You say, that doesn't add up mathematically. In God's mathematics, it does. There was not one bit lacking of him in any way. He was the second person and is the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son, equal with God the Father and God the Spirit. But he was also fully man. What you've experienced, he's experienced, yet without sin. If you've ever had your heart broken, know that Jesus knows what it's like to have his heart broken. If you've ever experienced joy, if you've ever experienced thankfulness, if you've ever experienced uh, dark days, abandonment, he knows what you're feeling. We have a Savior who can be touched, who understands our infirmities, who understands our weakness. He was born, but he was also given to us. And these words that are described back, describing him back in Isaiah chapter 9, it says... The government will be upon his shoulder. He'll be a great ruler. He shall be wonderful. 
I want you to think of that. Filled with wonders. When you look at the Gospels, when you see about the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus, look at the miracles he performs. Now, we look at them, and it's, it's dry, isn't it? It can be dry sometimes. Here it is, black text on a white page, and it says, and he healed the sick, and he made the lame to walk, and he caused the blind to see. But could you imagine what it would be like to be blind and never see? Never see the beauty. Perhaps you had your sight for a time and lost it because of some malady. And what that would have meant for you in that society, there were nobody caring for people with disabilities. They were set out as beggars. They were destitute, left out in the street, grasping at, at fairy tales of some hope of being healed. And they would have, but can you imagine what it would have been like if someone came over, perhaps placed his hand upon your shoulder, and talked about how your faith has made you whole, and then you blinked your eyes, and the light came pouring in. And the beauty of the world that God created was there. And all of a sudden, the life that had no possibility and was nothing but destitute has been turned. Now you can work again. Now you could have a family again. Now you could be around those that you love. You could have purpose, and you could serve this amazing Savior who did this for you. Full of wonder. Full of wonder. Those at death's door thinking that it was only a few breaths until they would leave this earth. And Jesus walks in. Touches them. Heals them. Stands them back up. Goes, can you imagine being called to the funeral of a young child? And as you're on your way out of the city, Jesus stops the procession. This, this wandering teacher stops the procession. Raises the child back to life. Cancels the funeral. You think that that would fill you with wonder? That is who he is. Wonderful. No one is more wise than the Lord Jesus, a great counselor. If you need wisdom, ask of God who giveth to all men liberally, generously. Meaning that he has it if you need it. The mighty God. Don't forget, he is fully man, but he is the mighty God. There is no bounds on his power. The everlasting father. Praise God that he sent somebody who could show us who the father is. That he could reveal him to us. And finally, the prince of peace. Other rulers come and they come to take your freedom. Other rulers come and they come to take your possessions by taxation. They come to take your service by conscription. But here the Lord Jesus comes to set you free and to give you riches beyond what you could ever imagine. Oh, truly he is a ruler and there is none that can rise up against him. But when he comes, instead of bringing war or asking for monuments built to his greatness, he comes bringing peace. He comes bringing peace. A little bit of peace? Well, verse 7 says, And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. I want you to know that one day the Lord Jesus is going to return. Not as a baby in the manger. Not, not as some obscure figure that no one knows about for 30 years. But he is coming in power and everyone will know the day when he returns. Surely before then he will call up his church and will be raptured away to be with him forevermore, caught up in the blink of an eye. And then for seven years his judgment will be poured out upon this earth. And finally, at the great day of the Lord, Jesus will come and defeat the evil armies of the Antichrist and those that have raised them up, themselves up against righteousness and goodness and they will be cast aside. And the enemy himself will be locked in the pit. For a thousand years. And during that thousand years, Jesus Christ himself will rule from the throne of David on this 
earth. And all of the wickedness that you see in governments today, all of the corruption will be turned on its head. And it will be reigning in righteousness and in goodness. You'll turn on your television or whatever technology we have by then. Instead of being bombarded with filth, you'll be filled with godliness and righteousness from it. The music on the radio, you'll go, oh, that's, that's, that's praise music. Oh, that's, that's, that's praise music. Oh, oh, another song about Jesus. Another song about Jesus. You won't hardly be able to find the evil as things are turned on its head. And there will be peace for that time and peace forevermore. No doubt this passage is referring to that. But of the peace that he can bring to the life of a believer, there is no end. There is no end. The most important peace that we can have, and we're going to talk about more than just one kind, we find in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1. If he gave us no other peace, this is the peace that we need. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, the word of God says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Peace with God. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible or taking notes, would you take note of that phrase, peace with God? It's hard. I remember it being hard for me anyway. Hard for me to remember that I didn't have peace with God. I didn't have peace with God. Oh, I don't ever remember declaring war on him. Any of you ever wake up and just decide, you know what, I'm going to declare war on God today. I'm going to, I'm going to be his enemy. That would sound like a terrible way to start your day, by the way. Something's probably wrong with you. There are people that set themselves in array against God and godliness and, and the things of right, without a doubt. But I don't think anybody at the beginning of that decided that. But in our own rebellion, in our own hearts, that want to go their own way, that want to throw off the rules that are placed upon us, that want no king to rule over us, that want no God but our own wicked hearts, when we have given into that, by action, we made ourselves enemies. It's as though they were set up and on one side was righteousness and one side was wickedness and our actions led us right over the line even if we ourselves never said anything about it. You see, we've sinned. Every man, woman, boy, and girl in this world has sinned. God says, don't do evil, and, and we do it anyway. Why? Because it's fun? Because it's convenient? Because it gets us out of trouble? Because I saw it and I thought I could get away with it? Who knows why? Or there's good things that he asks us to do, and we refuse to do it. And that's sin. And why? Because it takes too much time. It takes too much effort. And frankly, I don't really like that guy. I don't really like that lady. I don't want to do that for them. I don't want to be nice to them. I'm going to look out for number one. We're filled with all sorts of terrible ideas from the talking heads in our culture and in our society. And as we do that, listen to how the Bible describes our situation. It says in verse number eight of Romans chapter five, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were yet sinners when Christ found us. I want you to know, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this in any greater insulting way to anybody else, because I'm included in this. Let me say it like this. I was no catch when God found me. God was not lucky to have me. God didn't happen to stumble upon some diamond in the rough. No, I was yet a sinner when he found me. And I think that if you were honest, you would be able to admit the same thing. You would be able to admit the same thing. 
whether it's in our thoughts or our words and our deeds. By the way, who's perfect? Anybody perfect? Jesus is perfect. How about anybody here today? No, me neither. Which means if we're not perfect, we've offended in some point. And if we've offended in one point, then we're guilty of all. How many times do you have to sin to become a sinner? Once. And without a doubt, I fulfilled that before I got out of my crib as a baby. It says in verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We weren't just sinners, we were enemies. What an overwhelming adversary we faced at that time. Who can overcome God? Who can overcome God? And yet here we are, set, ready for destruction, in array against him. As though we were all lining up for battle in our places. And yet God, though we were against him, and we rebelled against him, and we spit upon his honor and his glory and his rules, yet he is the one who came and sent his son to give us peace. He paid his own price. Back in verse number one, it says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We were sinners. We were enemies. But now we have peace. Why? Because of the Christ of Christmas. Because Jesus came. It says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse nine, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus Christ didn't die by accident when he went to the cross. He wasn't betrayed by Judas, and that's what made him die. He wasn't taken by his jealous opponents, and that's what made him die. He wasn't taken by the Romans who feared an uprising, and that's why he died. No, Jesus Christ laid down his life. And as the Prince of Peace, he once and for all made peace between us and God. I want you to know if you never have peace in your personal life, if you never have peace with your past, if you never have peace with your family, if you never have peace in the job site or in the office, if you never have peace when you turn on the news or when you talk with someone along the street who differs from you, if you never have any of that type of peace in your life, you can have this peace. And it is peace with God. And it is what matters the most because this is what makes it possible for you and I, when this life is over, to be with God in heaven. Enemies of God do not enter into heaven and its glory. Sinners do not enter into the holy courts of his praise. No, we have to be cleaned. We have to be made new. We have to be born again. And that is what the Prince of Peace has done for us. That is the first and most wonderful peace that he gives us. Look in Ephesians chapter 2, would you? In Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to these beautiful words of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was once a great gulf, a great distance between you and God, between me and God, something that none of my efforts and none of my promises to change and none of my attempts could ever shorten that distance between me and God because my sin had separated me from him. And Christ and all of his glory, knowing what beheld him, left the throne room of heaven and all of its splendor to come down to this dirty, broken earth. And he walked among us, taking on flesh so that he would be a savior who not just would understand, but could die for us and as us. 
And as he did that, he broke down the division between you and I and God. And now there is a way back to God. That though we are sinners, though we are separated, though we were criminals and enemies with God, we can be welcomed in as children, as daughters, as sons, adopted into his family, made new in Jesus Christ. This is what it is that Jesus has done for us. And there would be none of this if it were not for Christmas. Mary, Joseph, the manger, the cattle lowing, whatever that means. Even the angels and the shepherds, they're not what makes Christmas special. It's Jesus Christ. And all that he is and has done for us as the unspeakable gift. Without Christ, we have no Christmas. And it says back in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, being justified, being declared innocent, but we're not innocent. No, we're not. Being declared not guilty, but we are guilty. It's true, we are guilty. Then, then how could a righteous judge, God himself, do that? Because somebody paid the price. Sin must be punished, and it was. A debt must be paid, and it was. Stripes must be given, and they were. And yet we were healed because Jesus took all of those things. A few points of application. First of all, remember that Christmas is special because of Christ. Christmas is special because of Christ. I enjoy all the festivities, almost all the festivities that are around Christmas. I don't like it when I have to go in the store to buy some simple thing and there's a ton of people in there shopping. I got to be honest, I don't enjoy that part of it. But almost everything, the lights, the singing, people talking about Jesus, I love that. Places where normally they wouldn't have anything to do with Christ. They have Christmas carols on, and the old ones at least have much to do with Jesus Christ. I love that. I love the cheer. I love the idea of goodwill toward men and and showing kindness to one another. I love all of that. I love the gifts. I love giving gifts. I love finding and giving the perfect gift. It's better than receiving the perfect gift. It really is. And I don't know, some of you perhaps that are younger don't believe that yet, but when you find the perfect gift and you give it to your children and you see the look on their faces or their grandchildren and you see the look on their faces, it is amazing. It is just, it's so much better than what you could have gotten for yourself. I love all of that. I love the time of family together. I love the eating. But I want you to know that without Jesus Christ, we have missed the richest thing about Christmas. We have missed the richest thing about Christmas. You'll be overwhelmed with all that Christmas cheer this year, but without Jesus, it'll just be busy, expensive, and draining. We can celebrate because Jesus has brought us peace. Second of all, receive this gift of peace with God. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, if you've never received that, if you don't have peace with God yourself because you've trusted Jesus, now is the time to do that. If you don't know him in a personal, personal way, I want you to know that this salvation that he brings to you is a gift. He was given as a gift, and he offers the fruits of his suffering, his work on the cross. He offers that to you as a gift that must be simply received. How? By faith. Jesus Christ, God's Son, lived a sinless life and laid his life down on the cross for you. He died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. If you believe that by faith, were any of you there? I wasn't there. I wasn't there. But I know what the Word of God says. Not only 
Was it written by eyewitnesses and those that had access to eyewitnesses? Not only is it corroborated in other world histories, not only is it have contained prophecy, it is the very word of God. And he was there. By the way, that's how I know how all of this began. How everything began in the beginning. How do you know? Scientists have many ideas on how it began, but only one person was there. And it was God himself. He knows how it began, and he knows what happened. And we have this simple promise of faith. If you, by faith, believe, you have the gift of eternal life. You have it now. It's a current, a present possession. Not just fire insurance that kicks in one day, but the very life of Christ in you. If you've never received that, today is the day, friend. In just a little bit, we'll have a time of invitation. People will be standing and singing. Some people may come to pray or may pray right there in their seat. I would encourage you, slip out of your seat and come and say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And I know that sounds scary and I know that sounds embarrassing, but we're talking about your eternal destination. Because I don't want you to just talk with me. I want someone to take you aside privately, a gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady, and show you from the word of God how you can know for sure that your sins are forgiven. And that heaven is your home. I don't know of anything more important than that. Whose good opinion are you willing to go to hell over? And do you honestly think that somebody in here would be upset if you got right with God? I bet you they would rejoice. It says that all heaven rejoices with you. And if somebody in here doesn't rejoice, there's something wrong with their heart. Lastly, Stop trying to earn what you've already been given. Stop trying to earn what you've already been given. Many people misunderstand gifts. If you work or trade for it or pay for it, it's not a gift. It's called a purchase or barter. Salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ given for you is a gift. It has nothing to do with how good of a person you've been or how bad of a person you've been. It has nothing to do with church membership. It has nothing to do with what um, money you've given and to whom. It has nothing to do with whether you've been baptized or catechized or, or any of that. It simply has to do with faith in God and in God alone. That's what salvation is. And you see, many of us grew up, perhaps in different places, that, that we're not preaching the word of God clearly, and we think that there's all this stuff we have to do in addition to trust Jesus. Oh, I know I have to trust Jesus, but I also need to do this, and I need to do that, and I need to do this, and I can't do that, and boy, I better not do that, and that's going to get me there. Friend, if earning your way to heaven was based on something that you and I have to do, we would never get there. By the way, if keeping our salvation has anything to do with what you or I have to be doing, we would all lose it. Only because we're safely held in the hands of Jesus Christ. Are we eternally secure? And we are. Some of us have this mindset that we have to do good works in order to get saved. That's the wrong order. That's the wrong order. We get saved and we are made to do good works afterwards. Because Christ has changed our heart. And now we want to do right. So the good works, they come after salvation. You say, what about church membership? It's wonderful, but you can't join a Bible-preaching New Testament church without first knowing Christ as Savior. That's where it all begins. 
What about getting baptized? It's a wonderful thing to get baptized. In fact, my, my youngest has been asking me time and time again, I'm ready to get baptized, Dad, and you keep forgetting. I'm like, no, I just want to make sure that you understand what it is. And that's wonderful, but I want you to know you can't get baptized, not scripturally, without first having put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's where it all begins. And I love it when you come to church, and I love it when you do good by your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I love it when you show the love of Christ to the lost by serving them and helping them. But as wonderful as those things are, that's not what's going to get you to heaven. And that's not what you need to rest in. I can rest tonight in my entrance into heaven. Should this be the last day that I have on earth, should the Lord call me home today, I can rest in confidence that I'm getting there, not because I'm a preacher, not because I'm a member of this church, not because I've done this or that or was baptized up here. No, it'll only be by grace, by Jesus Christ alone, because he decided to give it to me and I took what he was offering. Leave off from your efforts and your public image and the other things you've been trusting. Cast yourself on Christ alone. And here's the most wonderful thing. When you stop trying, you'll finally have peace. When you stop trying, you'll finally have peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that God has spoken to you about. And I believe that God speaks to people wholeheartedly, but I don't know what he said to you. Perhaps it was about something in the message. Maybe you're here today and, and you're not really a church person and you, you don't know much about Jesus and you don't know much about church. Or, or maybe you do know much about church, but all this talk about knowing Jesus personally, maybe that's very new to you. And the idea of trusting him alone and, and not the sacraments and, and not membership, maybe that's very new to you. But it's gotten your attention. It's gotten your attention. And that you might be willing to say, to yourself at least, I, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to know for sure. I'm not sure that heaven's my home, but I, I certainly don't want to go to hell. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I'm going to ask you to, in just a moment to raise your hand if that's you, if, if you have doubts and you'd like the doubts removed. But I want you to know I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Between you and me and God, would you be willing to raise your hand and say, I'm not sure, but I, I'd like to be. Pray for me. Is there anybody like that, like that that would just slip their hand up and write back down? That's me. I'm not sure, but I'd like to be sure. Write up and write back down. Anybody like that here today? Believer? Has Christmas lost its sparkle because of so much worldliness around it and so much busyness around it so much holiday quote cheer that though we have the cheer perhaps we don't have Christ how many of you would be willing to say between you and me and God and say Lord help me to make this Christmas more about Christ than ever before how many of you would be willing to, to ask that of God? Lord, help me to make... Would you slip your hand up and write back down and say, Lord, help me to make Christmas more about Christ than ever before. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Maybe some of you have been trying to keep yourself saved, trying to keep God happy with you, trying to, to keep him loving you by what you do. And friend, I am all for holy living. 
I am all for personal accountability before God, but I want you to know that is not what saves you and that's not what keeps you saved. Maybe you'd be willing to say by the uplifted hand, Pastor, whether it's because of religion or just my upbringing or whatever it's been, I've been trusting in my own good works and pulling my weight and trying to be the right kind of man or the right kind of woman or the right kind of boy or right kind of girl. You say, I've been caught up in all of that, but I, I finally want peace. And you know what? I'm trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Would there anybody be like that this morning that says, I need that peace? Lord, give it to me. Would you slip your hand up and write back down and say, that's me. Amen. The Lord sees your hand. Anybody else that says, I need that peace. I've been trying to earn what's already been given to me. Amen. I see that. Anybody else with an uplifted hand? Amen. Praise God. Maybe you're here today and you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism or you want to put your life and influence in this church as a member. Or maybe there's some great need that you have that's completely separate from what we talked about. But the Spirit of God has brought it to your heart and mind again and again. I want you to know these stairs, this altar up here is open as a place of prayer. or right there in your seats. But let's say yes to the Lord. If he's spoken to you, don't say no. Father, take this time of invitation. Work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we?